Knowles, welcome to Front Row Knowles. As always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones. It's your favorite hour of the week. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Tommy. Doing well. I, I need this. I need the break, man. I, I, I got some bumps and bruises. I got to get healed. Well, lucky for you, it's an open week. I'm not sure what your story will be the remaining eight weeks of the season, but for now, you do have an extra seven days to recover. You know, back to uh, old conversations we've had about week zero and everything. I hope at some point in the near future, we can get to the tandem breaks instead of just one break. Uh, I think we've reached that point, and uh, I know Mr. Block would be happy to be a consultant to help everyone achieve that. We've discussed that ad nauseum. Uh, we could make that happen, just let everybody play week zero or have the option to play week zero if they wanted, and then you could get two bye weeks, uh, even in the years when the calendar doesn't uh, supply two bye weeks. All right, Keith, we're going we're gonna to break down the state of Florida State football, 4-0, keeps dropping in the polls, but uh, still in the top five. And we'll do that with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. But uh, to go glasses half full first, we all know the running game needs to get better. The defense needs to get better. We think Jordan can get better. Let's talk about what Florida State's doing really well. Fourth down, 78%, that's 13th in the country. And I'm not really making light of these things. I'm pointing out a lot of these little things is why FSU is 4-0. Uh, they've only allowed four sacks all season, so one per game. In the red zone, they're one of eight schools nationally that are still perfect. They're 17 for 17 in red zone scoring. And more than that, Keith, they're 14 touchdowns out of those 17 trips. So they're not settling for field goals. They're they're getting six or, or seven, actually. Uh, how about Fitz and Mastromano? I mean, I, Fitz is perfect. And Mastromano is, is among the nation's leading punters right now with what he's doing. I actually looked that up. What did he's... 47 and a half yard average, five inside the 20, seven of 50 plus, two touchbacks right now on 14 punts. And then the last thing is that Florida State is tied for third in defensive touchdowns because they've had two scores. So those things all factor into reasons why Florida State is 4 and 0, even though they're not the main bread and butter that we talk about. And those are the quantitative things. If you look at the, the subjective things, you've got a team that's 4 and 0 and really hasn't played that well. And we've said ad nauseum, it is much easier to teach and correct mistakes when you're winning than when you're losing. And uh, you sit at 4-0, you've got plenty of tape to show the kids, this is what we need to do to get better in, in almost every facet of the game. Um, and if they achieve that, again, uh, Florida State, they, they control their own destiny. They don't need anybody to help them. They just need to keep playing well. Well said. All right, we'll dive deeper into Florida State football with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, right after this on Front Row Knowles. 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Franti. Bob, you've recovered from Clemson. What do you think? We're sitting 4 0. It's, it's not perfect, but it beats the alternatives. Yeah, I think this is sort of a storyline of college football in, in 2023 where good teams are figuring out how to win despite their flaws, despite their deficiencies. There, there, aren't, there aren't like superpower teams yet so far. Um, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, they've got quarterback issues. They'd love to have a guy like a Jordan Travis, right? A lot of these teams would love to have the mismatch options that Florida State has. Um yeah, there's running game issues. There's, you know, there's, there's issues over the middle, giving up passing yardage, but it's still a really, really good football team for no after a month where, yeah, I think, I think a lot of fans maybe in August might've taken three and one might've said, Hey, you'll take that split with LSU and Clemson and, and go into that by, you know, feeling pretty good about yourself, but to be four and oh, to be among the top four or five teams in the country, it's, it's a good spot for Florida State to be in now to work on some of these flaws, some of these some of these issues going to the bye week. All right, Bob. Uh, Mike Norvell calls you up and says, we're going to have three, maybe four days of practice this week. What are the two things you want me as the head coach to make sure this team works on during this open period? Yeah, I, I think, you know, to put an asterisk by it, 1A might be get healthy, get as healthy as possible so that then you can do what you need to do. But you got to figure out this run game. And I don't really, I can't really tell you what all the answers are. I think it's a combination of a lot of little things. It's blocking assignments. It's you faced a really good defensive front in Clemson. It's it's you got to get healthy. There are a lot of different factors there. We, we've seen some good runs from Trey Benson, some good runs from Rodney Hill. Just not enough, not enough sustained running game there. I think let's put that as number one. Um, number two, somewhat concerning. I think we've got some kind of mixed messages as far as defending the pass. Um, Florida State's doing a really good job of applying pressure on the quarterback, not just from the front four, but from Kalen Deloach, DJ Lundy, Shaheen Brown had some pressures, but the pass defense is, is down below 100 overall in terms of yardage allowed. So whatever that is, as far as uh, quarterbacks thinking and dunking at times, quarterbacks finding success on third down at times, the, the, the big picture just isn't as good as, as you say, well, these 11 guys on the field should be better. So those are my two, if, if we're kind of looking at two big things that you need to address moving forward here. Well, to the second thing, Bob, are you, would you be in agreement with the, my general premise, which would be you need to bring, bring pressure more frequently, more consistently across the board, not just at times. And Keith and I have talked about this. If you're in the NFL and you got a 12-year veteran quarterback, well, he probably knows how to beat the blitz. But if you're in college, even if it's a second or third-year quarterback, he's not going to be as good if you're in his face as if he's got a clean pocket. I mean, there may be some exceptions, but generally speaking – that's kind of where I fall on that. Yeah, and you guys can 
correct me if you think I'm I'm wrong here, but I I think Adam Fuller's philosophy is going to rush four, have four really good dudes up front, a good a great rotation of athletic, physical guys who can put pressure on the quarterback, and then see how it plays out before then you decide do you have to adjust, do you have to get a little bit more exotic. I I thought Kalen Deloach's timing on that blitz was just spot on. It wasn't picked up by the running back. It was, from a defensive standpoint, it was beautiful. I'm sure, you know, KJ and other defensive players are, you know, sitting there going, that's what I want to see, that kind of aggressive physical play. And, yeah, I think I'm not wild about the 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 opposite side, though, is don't drop Byron Turner into coverage on a tight end because that's a mismatch where he he's not exactly going to be able to cover that type of guy so I think it's a fine line of, of how you how you address personnel and coverages within the down and distance. Um, I don't think there's simple answers here, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of of the philosophy that that Kalen Deloach still strikes me as more of a safety-ish linebacker. That's a really useful guy who's got some versatility. Um, he's he's maybe not the Jamie Robinson type, but he is a guy you can use in different roles, and, and blitzing is valuable there. Shaheen Brown, again, valuable as a, as a blitzer. So I think they do have to kind of dial it up, uh, so to speak. Uh, you, you know, Cade Klubnik, I think after that hit, after that jarring sack, the scoop and score, he just wasn't the same. He, he wasn't the same quarterback. I think he kind of had that hit in the back of his mind. There are a lot of just really short passes. He just wasn't in that rhythm. He got in it, I think, first quarter, second quarter, early third but but man that that was in his mind i think for the rest of the game and, and of course you know hindsight 2020 i think we can all understand that um you know coach fuller being a little conservative early on and then uh, particularly conservative in an individual game to find out uh, how things are going uh, but i agree with you i'm not i'm not suggesting that we should you know we should blitz a couple of people every play and, and press man all absolutely all the time. But I do think, and I think this defense is responding. I do think that they are, are buying into, um, you know, we we probably are a little bit better when we bring pressure and therefore uh, let, let's just do it a little bit more and, and see how that works for us. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things we've, we've kind of kicked around is it, it's unusual to see younger quarterbacks without a lot of experience having exceptional days against Florida state, you know, Castellanos at, at BC, it was a second start. Cade Klubnik, I think this was start five. If we're counting ACC title game last year, these are relatively young guys. You would expect that experience, that depth of the Florida state defense to um, be a little too much overall and maybe from the start. I think the other storyline is, is a guy like Patrick Payton mentioned that on, on Tuesday after practice that, you know, the Seminoles have to have that aggression, that mindset from the start, not to get behind, to feel like, oh, now we have to respond. Now we might need to be more aggressive. I, I get football is, is the ultimate chess match. There's a lot of moves and adaptations within the game. But I think what Patrick's saying is, you know, from that, from the start, from that, very first couple of drives let's truly bring it and and they they've seen what can happen they they've seen the fine line of um, I think there's a lot of fans maybe thinking that this team could be three and one or, or two and two if not for a couple of plays going a different way 
I, I do think that some of us are mature enough to understand that fine line and that they they can't keep kind of living on that edge. Well, not to pick a fight with Patrick Payton, who's bigger and stronger and meaner than I am. But the defense did get Clemson to punt on the first drive. And on the second drive, Fentrell Cypress dropped an interception that was in his hand. So you you could argue that their start really wasn't that bad. Had and, and had the offense gotten going, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation about the defense. So let's let's switch it over there, Bob. The offense has all these great pieces and parts. And it's just not firing on all cylinders. I don't know what the automobile uh, analogy is here. But, I mean, it, it's a, it's got a lot of souped-up parts, but we're just not getting the performance that we expect. And the running game, obviously, is key to that. But is it is it as simple as let's, let's reevaluate who's playing where on the offensive line and move this part over here and that part over here, and all of a sudden it'll be fine? Or is it much more – significant than that and we got to change we got to call more zone instead of more counter or we got to throw more instead of run more or all of it's on the table you know i think all of it's on the table i i think the the, the florida state bread and butter has been the counter run and, and coach atkins talks about plays that you can hang your hat on plays that you know you're going to run it it runs typically pretty well against just about any defense and i, I thought counter had been that for for them for you know for these last couple of years how much of it is is a, a few injuries how much of it is just as simple as hey uh an offensive lineman just missed by by a just a marginal leverage point on a really good defensive tackle defensive end i i do think we have to give some credit to clemson being better than than we all kind of imagined we we didn't really know how good clemson's defensive front might be i thought they were better really than expected um other factors at play you know for example jordan travis isn't running as much um in these last what game and a half since that bc hit um he's maybe trying to protect himself a little bit more but also he took some calculated risks he took some risks on those short yardage runs to make sure that that he got that fourth down that he got that that ball across the goal line so i'm, I'm not sure the the sky is falling from a why can't Florida State run? But I, but I do think it's it's in that very concerning range of okay, let's let's go to the drawing board. What is working? What do we think we can do with the personnel? How's the health of all the linemen? Um, just evaluating how each guy is at, at, at each position. Um, you know, for example, we were really high on a guy like Jeremiah Byers at right tackle, and, and he's had some good games and some not so good. So I think you have to ask, is that a is that a guy playing through an injury? Is that just he's playing up against a really good defensive end type? We have a lot of questions. I'm afraid just just not those answers that I think everybody's looking for just yet. Well, after uh, Coach Norvell called you, he hung up and he called me. And so the one thing I was going to tell him for the next week when they're getting ready for Virginia Tech, let's come out and commit in the first half to go in two back sets. And let's just go two back sets. Let's commit to the run. Let's see what we learn about ourselves. So do you like that with, with Jaheim Bell as one of the two backs? Or are you saying another, like a like a Rodney Hill, Trey Benson type? What, what do you I, mean? I, I honestly don't care. I'm talking schematically, not personnel. Sure. Uh, because I think 
when you when you go two backs, you're sending a signal to your offensive line and to the, everyone else. We're going to be run first and pass second, and let's see if we can do it. Now that's old school, old fashioned, uh, but I'd like to see what that result was, or would be. I think we're seeing a lot of usage of of two tight ends in right. this in this 2023 Mike Norvell offense. Um, maybe somewhat similar to those old Memphis offenses too that he's had, but when you use the two tight ends, it just gives you that kind of versatility. And I love Jaheim Bell as a, as a blocker. Um, love him as a blocker out of the backfield. I, I think he's getting utilized a, a good a, amount as a receiver. Um, you know, we've talked and a lot of people are asking, what about the slot receivers? Why aren't they getting enough play? I think you've just got some really good personnel advantages as far as what it opens up, you know, run pass when you use these two tight ends, whether it's a, a Bell, a Morlock, or a Marquise and Douglas. I think my question about the passing game, more than the slot receivers, because the reality is, like you just pointed out, if you've got two tight ends in there, there's not a spot for them on the field. So Jaheim Bell is your slot receiver. Can we see more than the back shoulder fades and or the nine routes? Can we see a dig? Can we see a slant? Can we see a skinny post? Is there a reason we're not seeing some of that? Because Johnny Wilson in particular, it feels like anytime he's between the hashes, he's four yards clear of a defender somehow. And now a lot of those are scramble plays. I'm not sure how, but like the first play of the second half, he's free. But the, the corner's in a little closer coverage on a lot of those, those throws on the sidelines. Yeah, these are good questions. Um, I, I think, again, like we talked about last week, you're seduced by the height. And I, I get it. I, I like the height advantage that they've got. I, I just think, you know, maybe Jordan's in love with just the, the opportunity to go a little bit more vertical. Maybe it's something defensively. They didn't they didn't want to go against the, the Clemson linebackers. They felt like they were maybe clogging the middle of the field. And you fear a Jeremiah Trotter hitting say a, a Destin Hill or a Johnny Wilson or, or somebody. Um, I, I do think some of this is just a relate, relatable to Clemson having a really good defense. And we're not going to see as good defenses this next, what, month or so. I mean, Virginia Tech is struggling. We think Duke is very good. But from a personnel standpoint, you think you can scheme up some good X and O matchups and, and then finishing out with Syracuse uh, in this three-game homestand. So... I do think there are opportunities for, for Florida State to improve and, and to really open up that playbook from a from a personnel standpoint, too. Now, guys, as we reflect back on the 2022 season, at what point would we have said in 2022, you know, next year the kicking game is going to be phenomenal? <laughs> and, and Jen, you know, if you were going to grade segments, uh, Master Mono and, 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 and the place kicking, you got to give them an A, maybe close to an A plus. You know, we kind of debated going into the year how much Alex Mastromano might be used because he, you thought the offense was going to score and, and maybe Norvell would go for it on fourth down. So you're just not punting as much. But was Mastromano as, as valuable as any offensive player in, in, in some regards, just, you know, flipping the field on, on Clemson? And, and on the other hand, you know, Ryan Fitzgerald outkicked a, a Clemson grad student who, you know, came off the beach in Charleston. It was kind of a curious coaching decision in the end from Dabo for not having, you know, another guy he trusted on the roster. But 
I think it goes back to just special teams is really, really important to this coaching staff. It's where you can win games. It's where you can potentially lose a game. You know, we saw that that fumble up at BC and that that could have been really harmful. But I think special teams is an area where where Florida State can grab some big plays, can get some consistent points and, and flip that field too. You mentioned Dabo. I'll tell you what, let's take a break. Then we'll dive into Dabo. And and the one other question that we haven't addressed yet, we'll do that on the other side of this uh, timeout. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Thanks on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones, Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Subscribe to the Osceola if you've not done so already. All right, I, not to just pile on Dabo, I happen to think that that Clemson football team played really well and has a lot of really good parts and pieces. I've always loved Shipley. I thought their defense was tremendous. Their linebackers were amazing. But Dabo called three timeouts from the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter to the end of the game. It didn't have them at the true end of the game. I mean, Keith and I talked this on Sunday. The clock management or mismanagement at the end really burned Clemson in this game. And, and I think part of it to me is who, what assistant coach is in your ear as a head coach and maybe challenging you and saying, Coach, are you sure? Are you sure you want to keep burning these timeouts? I, I mean, we might need these. This is a tight game. Do you want to have one or two in the pocket? Yeah. I mean, there were some really curious coaching decisions. There were some curious, you know, you know, Klubnik and, and his, you know, third down decision. And then and then fourth down, the the pass was was that miscommunication? What was that? Who knows? Um, I I do I, I think Clemson fans maybe have a right to kind of scratch their heads and be critical because Dabo has coached some incredibly big games and he's come out on the positive side of so many, but it almost feels like he's, he's risk-taking or he doesn't have confidence in certain pieces of the roster. It's, it's almost like he's still trying to feel out what kind of team he has is, is probably my best guess at this point. Well, and I would add to me again, not up there, excuse me, Tommy, but you know, I would add, you know, his, his offensive coordinator is brand new. And I want to say his defensive coordinator has only been there a year. And so I'm not sure it's Dabo per se. I'm thinking it's the brain trust still not working together well because he basically threw his defensive coordinator under the bus in his halftime comments. I mean, you read between the lines and, and he threw him under the bus. And then they talked about on the offensive side, when Klubnik made that decision, that's because he'd been coached during the week. If you come out, we've called this play, and they line up this way, you throw the screen. Even though it was third down, they only needed one. And that's all preparation. That's all head coach and coordinators. I mean, I, I don't think it's just Dabo, if, if I can be so bold. You're, you're probably right, Keith. It just felt to me like just the one-game sample size. It felt like the junior coach, if you will, in Norvell did a better job handling the way the game played out than than Dabo did. But we we could we could debate that. Let's get to the other question. The other question here, Bob, is Jordan Travis, who we we all I think have painted this picture that he's going to be the best quarterback in the history of quarterbacks, right? And now 
were wondering why is he why is he not the best quarterback? Well, I, I looked this up. So first of all, Jordan Travis right now is on pace, just regular season, 12 games. He's on pace to throw for 3,084 yards with 30 touchdowns and three interceptions while rushing for 282 yards and six touchdowns. And if you compare him to last year, last year he was completing 64% of his passes. This year he's completing 62. Last year his efficiency was 160, and this year it's 158. So we act as if he's dropped off a cliff, but the reality is the numbers are pretty close If he just, and he's not healthy. So I guess what I'm asking is, has it really been that precipitous a drop or have we just moved the bar so far on, on Travis that <laughs> we've made it impossible for him to measure up? You know, I, I was kicking this around too at some point and I, I don't know who decided to, to start the Jordan Travis for Heisman campaign. But when you do that early in January, you're sort of setting a tone for, for your quarterback, for your team, you're elevating expectations and that's that's a lot and, and jordan again for a natural introvert to then be be saddled with these types of storylines this type of social media um that puts a lot on, on him I, I think he's going to be what probably by the end of of december top three in almost every fsu quarterback category passing you know completions yardage all that good stuff and it's going to be a really really impressive career um Yes. How much is he playing through pain? I, I think probably a fair amount. Now, how he ran around and, and threw at practice on Tuesday, it also looks like a couple of days off gave him, you know, some element of, of new life. So I think we have let to me, take... let me interject though. Let me interject, Bob. When you're at practice and you know that nobody's going to hit a shoulder that's ailing, that's different than trying to step into a throw at Clemson when you know that the 280 pound defensive end is aiming for that shoulder. And I, I totally agree. I, I've always kind of felt with Jordan, you know, we said early on, Jordan, slide, Jordan, talk to Devin Travis, learn how to slide, learn when to slide. We always talked for years about learn when to protect yourself. And I do think to some extent we're having a discussion now and, and, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's, well, maybe he should run more. I, I think part of it is he is hurting and he has to just figure out when to take these calculated risks. I, I thought he did take a couple of really good ones in the game. I mean, he, there were a couple of times where I think we even saw some still photos. He was kind of bracing for impact on that goal line run. He knew he was going to get hit, but then had that second effort to kind of bounce to the right and to get that touchdown. I, I think he knows he's he's fighting through something. What significance? We, we don't know. He's probably never going to admit to. But that's the kind of leadership, you know, we we want to see from quarterbacks, um, high school, college, pro. You want to see quarterbacks put that toughness out there and just truly put a team in position to, uh, to have the best chance to win a game. And, and guys, it wasn't widely reported. I did read a couple of places and Tommy, I don't know if you picked up on this, but in pregame, Travis had a brace on his shoulder and he took it off before the game started because he didn't like it. He was hindered by it. So if it's, if it's of significance enough to merit, training staff saying let's try the brace i will tell you that's more than a casual thing i'm not saying you're going to miss and have surgery and come back in three weeks but when you start bracing things it, it's more than a nick or a bump 
whatever it is, I think we all agree that one of the ways to fix the running game would be to have Jordan be a threat in the running game. Whatever, I mean, two runs a half. It doesn't have to be. I mean, Syracuse has run its quarterback 25 times two weeks ago against Purdue, right? You don't need that from Jordan. You need once in the first quarter, once in the second quarter, just pull it and run and get eight yards and slide down. I mean, that alone, it feels like it would change the way teams have to defend FSU so much, and it would open up so much more. Do you agree, Bob? Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said about the the fear of of what can be done. You know, like you're saying, if, if you do it early in a game, then he doesn't have to do it consistently throughout, but it's at least in the you know de- defender's mind that he could do it. Um, I, I, again, I think his mindset, going back to what he said almost 18 months ago, he wants to be a passer. He really thinks of himself as a guy with mobility, as a guy with more than pocket mobility, but he wants to be a passer. I don't, I don't know how we'll have to ask maybe years from now, what, what would coach Norvell say about how Jordan envisioned himself? Did it kind of change play calling and such? But I think. I have to admire that that Jordan's just out there so much trying to do, but I'm kind of with you. Yes, he could run a little bit more, but the other part is every time he gets hit, I do have a little bit of that cringe of, oh man, that let's not let that be the hit that, that then he's out on the sideline for a series or something. All right, guys, we're sitting at four and oh, back in August. That's what, that's what, that's what we wanted. We wanted to be four and oh. But are we where we think we need to be to run the table? You know, part of me thinks that not many teams are going to run the table across college football. So that's kind of a non-answer, I guess. But I I think we're going to see maybe four playoff teams with one loss apiece. I think what I like about the ACC is there's no divisions. So you can suffer a loss, still go to Charlotte and, and win. I like the matchups for just from a Vegas standpoint. You might think Florida State's going to be favored in all of these games. That's that's a start. That's good. You like that you're going to face Miami at home. You like you're going to face Duke at home. I, I still think you've got a really good shot to go 12 and 0, 11 and 1. But I'm also not super worried about about being perfect and that being a burden. I I, I do think we're going to see a lot of teams have a stumble somewhere along the way here. And that's just the reality of of where we are in college football. Speaking of Charlotte, Bob, here's the double-double for Knowles fans because the men's basketball schedule came out on uh, Tuesday evening. Florida State's men's team will open ACC play 2 o'clock December 2nd in Chapel Hill at the Dean Dome. Now, I don't know the last time I drove from Chapel Hill to Charlotte, but I'm pretty sure if the hoops game ends around 4, it's about 80 miles to Winston and another 80 miles to Charlotte. And you can be there for kickoff for the ACC championship game that night. I mean, I think we need to just go ahead and pencil this in, maybe mark it in pen and, and, uh, and I'll make plans for the double double on that first Saturday in December. What do you think? I like it. I like it. I've never been to uh, see a basketball game at Chapel Hill. So that would be, that would be a really, really fun day, long day, but a really fun day for sure. Well, unfortunately there, Having been there a number of times, I will simply tell you, it's a really, really, really big arena that put a lot of people in it. And, <laughs> in and I don't remember what happened this past season, Bob, but I was there two seasons ago with Gene, 
when the final score was like 110 to 60. It was a it was a rough day for Leonard's troops. But that was yesteryear. We're turning the page. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the rest of the schedule, but uh, thinking about opening with UNC in December, what comes to me is wine and cheese crowd and Sam Cassell. Because, I mean, I think that was when we opened at UNC in December, the first ever ACC men's basketball game. So if that's any indication, Leonard and Stan and company are set for a big year. I think Leonard and Stan would really like to have a big year. They might like to have a, a young Sam Cassell on this roster and, and we'll have to see it's it's been a fun team to watch in these preseason practices some big questions left you know does primo spears get that waiver as a, as a two-time transfer i think i really like josh nickelberry and and what he could bring as a maybe a maybe a starter but maybe a sixth man um some big question marks you know cam fletcher a guy who had that knee injury in december how how much can he do by november Jalen Ganey, a guy we've never watched, but he's been compared to Malik Osborne. Um, without a, a really true impactful center, you're going to be leaning on a Malik uh, on a uh, on a Jalen Ganey quite a bit. So, I do think there are some questions about this team, but it, it it's it feels like a team that could be fun to watch develop and see what Baba Miller looks like in year two. It's a lot of kind of interesting storylines and questions with these guys. I, I certainly, and I know many other Florida State fans, certainly hope that they can recapture that junkyard uh, defense mentality. Uh, I know, again, over the last over the last just two or three years, the men's basketball, uh, you know, the, the 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 game has changed and evolved just a little bit in that short period of time. Uh, but you know, defense uh, under Leonard Hamilton, defense leads to the great offense, and uh, that's been a, a little bit of a missing uh, piece of the puzzle. Uh, at least recently. I hope they recaptured that. I think that and stay healthy. I mean, stay right. healthy is is got to be number one at the top of every list of every. Maybe, maybe most fans. important. Most yes. important is stay healthy. Did I hear you right? Are we waiting on another ruling from the NCAA on a two-year, tra- a second-time transfer? Is that what you said? Oh, gosh. Here we go. Yeah, I, I tried to kind of just slide it in there. Yes, we are. Good waiting. Lord. I mean, we know what they did to Baba Miller last year and Daryl Jackson this year. I mean, there's no way that's going to break in FSU's favor. Well, Make the case. I Okay, the case is, I mean, Stan Wilcox, please, you got to throw us something, man. Cause it hasn't been a, a good couple of years for all these NCAA appeals, man. <laughs> no, well, the one thing they have done is they've been consistently idiotic. Ask uh, Mac Brown. The lack of transparency, and and I, I know there might be some issues with releasing all the reasons why you're appealing for a transfer. But when the when you ask the NCAA about the Bob Miller incident, they declined comment. When you ask about a, a two time transfer being declined, they won't comment. And this is not just a sports writer saying I want and I crave transparency. I think everybody would like to understand why this is happening. It's not just these guys. It's a lot of guys across college athletics. Well, uh, we could we could start a whole other podcast about uh, the issues with the NCAA. So rather than debate it right here, right now, Bob, we'll let you get going and be on your way. Take care, guys. All right, uh, coming soon, Front Row NCAA. But for now, we'll be back with more Front Row Knowles right after this.
Front Row Moles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Bob Frante for joining us as always. Keith, I want to go back to those numbers I, I spouted out for Jordan Travis because a, a guy that could complete 62% of his passes for over 3,000 yards with 30 touchdowns and three interceptions, and we're sitting here nitpicking every decision and every throw that he makes that's a little off target, at some point it feels unreasonable. Well, we've established that many people, ourselves included, think that from his freshman year to where he sits right now, uh, 4-0 and as a starter in 2023, he's probably made the biggest advancement and improvement of any player in any position in the country. Uh, and, and, and then the second part of that is given the flashes of things that he's done, we, we human nature, we expect him to do that all the time and consistently. And that all spells what my daddy used to talk about as unrealistic expectations. And we're full of them. The good part is that uh, Coach Norvell and Coach Atkins don't have those unrealistic expectations. Because I can almost guarantee you, though they would appropriately never admit it, it's affected their play calling. They're not turning Travis loose like they might would want to and certainly as they have in the past. Um, the, uh, Travis is, is being a lot more careful and cautious in what he's doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, with all the problems in the offense that can be corrected it, based on the numbers you're talking about in the comparison this year to last, it's expectations. It's not performance on Travis's part. Defense real quick. And I, I'll just state for the record, I'm in the camp that he's played really well this year. And the numbers we typically look at don't support that. But Jared versus four games in, and he has zero sacks right now, KJ. Are you concerned? Uh, am I concerned? No, I'm not concerned. What I do worry about, and this really doesn't matter, is I've had conversations, you know, even before the Clemson game. Well, what's wrong with Jared? Is, is there an undisclosed injury that nobody's talking about? Um, you know, all the negative that it is associated when you're not quote unquote putting the numbers up. Uh, but as we've said, you and I have been I've been following this 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 program for dang near 50 years. The NFL will find you. It has nothing to do with who you play for, has nothing to do with what your individual statistics are. Now, you could have an outstanding year and put up some numbers and some people might pay a little more attention to you. But you ask Coach Norvell, you ask uh, Coach Papoushis, the things that Jared has been doing uh, have been right in keeping with everything that goes along with his notoriety. He just doesn't have the numbers. He has made some impactful plays. No I mean, question. He was in the middle of the quarterback pressure that led to the interception by D.J. Lundy against Southern Miss. I mean, he had a couple of nice shots and tackles against Clemson this week. He nearly had the – I think it would have been a forced fumble, right, on Jaden Daniels in the LSU game, but he got there just a split second late. Maybe it was an incomplete pass. So it feels like one of these weeks he's going to put up a three-sack game 
and he's going to start adding some numbers in there. I don't know enough about the left tackles that FSU is about to face or either side because they they flip-flop. So either of the tackles. But it feels like the the advantage is going to be verse here coming up soon. I would agree. And, again, it's it's football 101, and they're giving him some special attention. They're lining a tight up over him, chipping him. They're using the back to chip him. That means that somebody else is free. And, um, you know, as a team, that will equate to success. Keith, it's an open Saturday. What do, what do you do on an open week? Do you uh, go fishing? Do you get away from football? Or do you do the same as usual and just sit on the couch and continue to watch football, just not FSU? What a silly, silly question, Mr. Bach. As long as we have known each other, I am so disappointed in that question. It's everything I always do on Saturday. <laughs> the same thing you always do on Saturday. I got you. Oh. I knew the answer to it. I knew the answer to it. All right. Well, well have fun doing you, The good news for you is you get to hang out with the family. Because, uh, again, FSU's technically played three road games and just one home game uh, to go 4 and 0. So uh, you'll get to have some family time. Well, Nolan has a soccer tournament, but not to pick on some of the cities we've been to lately Dothan. Orange Park. Uh, this one is Fort Walton Beach, literally on the beach over in the Destin area. So it will be a good weekend for the blocks, if you know what I'm saying. There you go. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.